welcome to the first recording ever of Get Better at Business. I've got a lot of friends in business that I have learned a lot from uh, as I've kind of developed my network. And one of my favorite people that I have met through that process is my buddy, Matt Robinson, has a really cool business. And the thing that he and I share in common is that we sort of walked in to kind of kind of stumbled into a family business. It was never our destiny, but we found ourselves there and we have a lot of shared pain and a lot of uh, of taking over something the generation the things all the fun that comes along with generational change in business. But uh Matt, why don't you just kind of give the people like the 2 minute history of Matt Robinson and how you actually found yourself into that situation. Sure, and and grateful to be on. I'm I'm Forever grateful to have met you and, and blessed to know you, and it's uh, it's gonna be fun. First guest, looking forward to it. Yeah, man. So, I'm Matt Robinson. I am the quote unquote president of Manufacturers Transportation Incorporated. Air quotes. President. <laughs> it depends on what day and who you're talking to, but I run this thing. Let's just put it that way. So, coming into a family business, right? It's um, as you know, I didn't really plan on this. In fact, I. I wanted to do anything but this. I think seeing um, my father growing up, I, if I remember one thing about him at all, is that he was always on the phone. I mean, always on the phone. Golf course, at my baseball games, middle of birthday parties, it didn't matter. He was always working. I remember looking at him like, that's not what I want to do. Whatever he's doing <laughs> over there is not what I want to do. Did you, know, did, you, did you really know what he did for a living as a kid? I had no clue. I had no clue. I, I knew that he worked in trucking, and that was that was it. Um, I was always around trucks growing up. I remember, you know, I'd, I'd get dragged to work, and I'd be in a warehouse full of garlic and and produce and things like that, and just throwing a tennis ball at the wall. But I didn't really know what was going on around me. Didn't know too much. They had it had to do with trucks, and I knew that much. That was about it. Um, it wasn't until probably college that I really took an interest in his business. I think business in general. Getting into school, and I wanted to be a finance major. Uh, well, I was accounting first, and then I was like, okay, well, accounting is keeping score. Finance is playing the game. I'd rather play the game. So I, I, I studied finance, and uh, I wanted to go be a stockbroker on Wall Street. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go live that grimy lifestyle and sweat out some rough prospects. And I wanted to, you know, I don't know if they, I wouldn't call it scamming people, yeah. but, you know, it's, it's a really sleazy way to make a living. Let's <laughs> be real about it. Like, it's... It's tough. And that, you know, and, it's a really and that was attractive to you. You're just like, dude, I it, want it was. You said like, you know, hey, accounting's keeping score, finance is playing the game. You just wanted it, it the thing that was attractive is you just wanted to be on the field. You were just like, hey, I want to be where the action is. I wanted to be in the middle of it. I wanted to be generating, you know, I wanted to be generating uh, numbers for accounts. Okay. That's what I really really want to do. You know, but finance, I, I took some courses with some really talented professors, and I just remember them discussing it. And I was like, that sounds like a really glamorous sort of sleazy lifestyle in some way. And for whatever reason, at that time in my life, it was just appealing. You know, it's like you, you go to, uh, you mean you go to work, but I think what appealed to it most of all was that these guys played really hard. They worked hard, played hard. And I was like, you know, I was probably 20 at the time. I'm like, this sounds awesome. This sounds great. I'm going to do that. You know, and come to find out later that it wasn't going to work for me either. Sure. <laughs> Um, that's another episode so uh, <laughs> that's a different right so i uh wanted to be a stockbroker and I, I graduated school in i guess it was 2009 right around the tail end of the recession okay. you know things were not going well in the finance sector whatsoever so i remember graduating and, and and going to job interviews gung-ho i remember talking to fidelity one time 
And they looked at me like, we're really not looking to hire any brokers <laughs> right now, unless you've got a book of business and then we're interested in you. But the best we can do for you is about 30000 a year, and you'll be responsible for your own book of business. Here's a, here's a book. You can call these people. Ooh, good luck. Kid. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, if you don't meet these metrics in 90 days, then you're out. This is not what I was told, you know. <laughs> this is not how this was supposed to work. So I knew my dad did something and had somehow supported me through college. Uh-huh. And I'm like, hey, Dad, do you, do you have anything I can do over there this summer? Okay, uh, I'll be in Monday. You know, it was kind of one of those yeah. things. He was like, sure, I can, I can, can uh, kind of walk you through what we do here. And I kind of had a rough idea of what was going on, but I wasn't 100% sure. And so... I guess it would have been probably August of 2009 or maybe. Yeah, it would have been yeah. 2009, late, late 2009. I, I walked into the office for the first time and little did I know that it would, um, it would set into, into motion events that led me to a long career in, in logistics, supply chain and trucking. So talk about walking in that, that first day. It's like, so you didn't, okay, you, you know, your vision for your future was that it's like, hey, I'm going to be like finance guy, Wall Street guy, whatever. And so I, glamorous. I was glamorous. Gonna be glamorous. It was going to be so glamorous. And then you, you, you walk into Manufacturers Transportation Incorporated. And what, what was the scene like whenever you walked in? Paint the picture for you. So we worked inside of a warehouse, probably a 400,000 square foot warehouse, dingy lighting, fluorescent lighting. Uh, and within this warehouse, in the very center of it, is sort of this, this, this island of an office, kind of in the middle of everything, surrounded by these, these yellow ballasts. And uh, I walk in, it's a, it's a second floor, so you have to walk up above the driver's lounge. And, and we're upstairs, and I remember the walls were sort of a, I would say, you know, like the color of like Bluebell homemade ice cream, like a <laughs> okay. the ho- like homemade vanilla, vanilla bean color, okay. because they were, they were smoke-stained, and it was... There was guys smoking cigarettes, and this is in 2009, smoking <laughs> cigarettes in the office, feet up on the desk. It's just like smoke all over the place. You know, there's an old tube TV on the wall, and it's playing like Fox News or whatever it may have been. It had these rough, disgusting old cubicles. These things were purchased from a Mercedes dealership in like the early 80s. And I'll never forget the fax machine. There was a fax machine. And in 2009, on, there was a fax machine. In 2009, there was a fax machine. There was this fax machine, and this poor thing. <laughs> it's still around. We kept it around because it's more of like nostalgia piece for me. But it, uh, it's, it's on this like busted up old table, the kind of used for like family gatherings and picnics and birthdays. And uh, it's just got papers pouring off of it. And this thing is just like vomiting paper like all day long. And there's a pile of paper on the ground. And I, I remember walking over and like picking one up. And I didn't even know I was looking at it. It was, it was, a, it was a load tender. So it's basically instructions. It's a you know, origin, destination, what you're hauling and things like that. And there's just pile of them on the ground every so often this guy would get up and he would walk over the fax machine with a cigarette in his mouth and he'd punch in a number and you know fax a straight confirmation never picking around. up never, never picking up the stack of stuff on the floor though no it was just <laughs> it was everywhere dude there were so many i remember when i finally cleaned it up and there was probably four or five years worth of paperwork on the ground it was unreal but it was it was it was my father and then there were two guys uh, that were brokering freight, uh, you know, moving moving trucks around, and then there were uh, there was one person in accounting, and that was it. That was that was this office, and uh, immediately you look around and like you know, my life was supposed to be grandiose. Dang it, you know, this was supposed to be glamorous. I was supposed to have a suit and tie on, and 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 here I am with like you know like like a Rangers hat on and like a you know, t shirt walking around this place, thinking, wow, 
fail, immediate fail. Yeah. You know, failure to launch right out of college. Let's see what we can make of this. So the, okay. So you, you walk in and you see that scene and then like, but you know, once you, once you, if I remember the story, right, once you peel back the layers, it's like, you found out that it's like, in spite of all this, these people are running a really profitable business here. That was the wild part. Yeah. So I remember kind of going through things and you start asking questions like, Hey, you know, what is this place doing a, a year? What's revenue right now? I think at the time it was probably 13 to $15 million. And I'm like, with the fax machine, thirteen to fifteen mil- with that, like yeah. really here, and yeah, absolutely. This place was, you know, in spite of everything, was absolutely flowing cash. And not to not to digress too much, but what I know now about the industry is that this is an industry that's very much rooted in in, in history and the way that things were done long, long ago, and it's been really slow to evolve. So what they were doing probably wasn't a super uncommon scene. For a lot of brokerage at the time, in a lot of trucking trucking offices, but this thing was absolutely printing money, which was just crazy to me. You know, they had accounts all over the country. They're moving produce. They're moving electrical wire. They're moving nuts and and, and all kinds of stuff. You name it, it was moving on trucks, and and they were making a lot of money doing it, which was just blowing my mind because the way they were doing it, it's almost like you roll up to a junkyard. You know, it's like there's no way this thing makes money, but this thing was making money. So. Yeah. You know, it's that's an opportunity that I see right away. So, you, you, whenever you walked in, was your you were looking for a summer job, right? Yeah, I was you, looking just to looking like to like data entry for the summer or something. You yeah, know? just so, something to kind of tide you over until the economy recovers and you could that's get exactly on your real right. career being a stockbroker or whatever. Okay. Right. So, at what point did you first have the thought of like? Dude, maybe this is maybe I should just keep doing this. Probably with it's in the within the first year, I would say maybe even six months. Yeah, you know, I'm sitting there doing it, and I think any entrepreneur has you have to have an ego to do it. And the company fed my ego in a lot of ways because I was able to, I was able to get away with a lot of things that probably guys my age weren't getting away with at the time. Like, uh, being, like what? Being being the owner's son probably had some benefit for sure. me. Yeah. Okay. And being trusted, so you know, without any prior work experience, I'm coming in and I'm I'm seeing ways that we can improve and and new ideas. What was your first like really? What was your first really big idea where you just like, if we only just did this instead of that, this would make a huge difference. What was the first one? So the company used so for, for the longest time, um, this was a who you knew interest industry, and so. If, if let's say that, um, let's say Catco called me and they had, you know, 50 truckloads for me to move in a given week, I would call 50 trucking companies or a handful of trucking companies to, to, to service that volume. And the industry started changing a lot in the tail end of the, I guess, the, the first 10 years of the odds, probably 2009, 10, where it became more of a digital industry. Um, you know, one of the first opportunities I saw was that, you know, this, this business is fax machines and phone calls, like, Guys, the internet. There's something called the internet, <laughs> and this like, is 2009. And right, it's just like, like yeah. we we ought to be using the internet more. Like there are there are ways that we can expand our network with customers and and, and motor carriers, and you know, there's there's a way for us to do this thing much more efficiently than we're doing it now. You know, at, at the time they were using a partner broker. So if let's say brokerage A can't find a truck, they'll call brokerage B. They'll share the margin on on whatever that that, that load may be. Um, because broker A really didn't know what they were doing. That's the way I look at double brokering or, or partner brokering, as we call it in the industry. 
Uh, they were doing a lot of that because they just didn't have the same network because a lot of those carriers were starting to grow up and figure out that they could find different lanes that were more profitable for them that worked better for their networks. Um, and so, you know, there was a whole wide world out there that they had nothing about. So I introduced the company to, um, you know, load board technology. And what is, what is, what is that? What is load board technology? So today there's, there's probably two big ones, um, internet truck stop and, and DAT, or those are the places you go when you absolutely cannot find a truck in your regular network. And it's sort of like uh, eBay for trucks. Okay. So they kind of go on there and search the best deal uh, that works for them and in a given lane that they're looking to get to California. They can sort through all the California loads for a day and see who, what they're hauling, what it's paying, how much it weighs, and you know, find something that works best for them. But it's an easy way to shop for trucks, too. It's an easy way to, to broaden your network. You can take you know, 10, 12 bids over the phone in a matter of a couple of minutes. And, and uh, you know, not only do you, do you find the best, the best price for your customers, but you're also able to, to you know, get 10 or 12 people on the phone and say, well, hey, how often are you here? Uh, where do you like to go? And, uh, you know, you keep them in your Rolodex of carriers and, um, you know, it helps broaden your network. So they weren't doing any of that back then. And so that was one of the first things that, that I had them do. And uh, aside from that, it was it was customer networking. So, like I said, you know, the, the company at the time, the, the, I guess the way things were done, it was it was good old boy stuff. And was you go play golf, you, you, you drink and um, you go to the bar and, you know, to a degree, a lot of businesses are still run that way. Um, but things were changing back then, you know, executives at the time were becoming younger. Um, and it wasn't so much cool to go drink at the golf course. It was cool to like buy a $9,000 road bike and put spandex on, on Saturday morning and go like ride around. Like that's what executives were starting to do at the time. And, um, you know, the people within our company were kind of losing touch of that. I think that for me being younger and sort of into those same things, I'm not a cyclist, by the way, but, <laughs> okay. you know, but, you know, sort of into, I guess, hipper things, I was able to really connect with uh, our customer base a lot better. And so I was able to, to get in front of them and, and be in meetings and involved in conversations that I think that most people wouldn't be able to, you know, to have, you know, within first year in the industry. So do you think that it was, do you think that it was a function of you being younger or how much of it was just a function of getting fresh eyes on the situation? I think fresh eyes in the situation, like coming out of college, like I've always been super driven and hungry and, and I was never more true than the day I graduated. Like I was beating my chest, like, let's go, let's do this. I'm ready to put this stuff to work, you know? And so coming into, to, uh, a really a bare bones business, uh, you know, you just look around and you think of everything that you've read and you've learned over the last you know, four or five years and, and everything that you aspire to do. And it's like, you have the opportunity to do anything you want, really. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my dad, I don't know if he would admit it, but I think that he was really about fed up with, with, and he's, hell, he's still fed up with it. He's still around, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's, he's just one of those guys, I think that if he didn't come here, he wouldn't know what to do with himself. But I think that at the time he was really, he wasn't up to the task of, of, of what the next level for the company looked like. You know, he wasn't looking to really innovate anything. Um, it was like, you know, this, this has worked for me and this is going to continue to work for me. And the day it stops is the day I'm done where I come in with, you know, fresh set of eyes and I'm like, wow, you know, the, the industry is, is evolving and I can see how it works. I mean, it's just so clear to me. Let's, let's, let's make a couple of changes here, here, and you know, over here. And, and we can really keep up with, uh, you know, this rapidly changing environment. So what is, what about the other side of that? So you had fresh eyes, you know, young and hungry. What was, 
but sometimes it's like, hey, there is a reason that things are happening in the industry, and the reason there's a reason that things are done the way they're done. And so, like, what was the stupidest idea that you had where you were just like, guys, we should totally do it this way, and then you ran into a brick wall where you're just like, oh, there's a reason that nobody does this or whatever. So, what's the what is the dumbest thing that you did as a result of you having fresh eyes and maybe a lack of experience and wisdom? So many, and you know, a lot of them. I've, I think I've probably tried to block out because they're so incredibly embarrassing. Like looking back on them, like I remember coming in and just being incredibly naive to the fact that systems were important. I mean, systems within a company. I assumed that if I got up and I gave a raw, raw speech about how we were going to change this procedure and how great it was going to be for the business, that I could inspire the people within the company to just follow my lead. You know, as they didn't really know what I was talking about, nor did they take me seriously because I was young. Um, you know, I remember at one point I had, I made these gift bags for drivers. I'll never forget this. So we were having issues because drivers were showing up. And listen, this is something I've, I figured out later on. Hang on, let me get this light. Sorry. <laughs> it's automatic. Awesome. We're fancy over here. So um, from the fax machine to automatic lights. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should name this, this episode. <laughs> so the um, truck drivers are truck drivers and they really haven't changed a lot and probably ever there's a certain kind of person that drives a truck and without them i wouldn't have food on my table but god love them they are some of the craziest people you'll ever meet and and i mean that in, in an endearing way um but truck drivers are you know especially owner operators guys that own their own truck they own their own company and they're just they're one of my contractors sense of entitlement maybe you know so sometimes they'll show up and they're not exactly the most polite to a customer you know they'll give them some lip but they'll show up and maybe they're not using the bathroom in a designated place like they're supposed to and i may or may not get five or six phone calls a year about this kind of thing <laughs> okay you know so things like this were happening and, and some of our customers got really upset and they just you know they set me down like you're out of touch you're out of touch with the industry you're out of touch with your drivers so i remember making these gift bags and i wrote like this long nice letter for every driver that picked up here I mean, I mean, like 60, 70 of these things a day. And uh, I had like protein bars in there and I had like a water in there and like candy and uh, like a nice little card to let them know, like, listen, like you're part of the value chain here and you are important. And they were. And I think that, you know, my the premise I meant well, but uh -huh. executing that was the worst idea ever. So like the first day, everyone was kind of like, OK, this is new. We'll do this. And so like, you know, I'd get four or five people to to kind of help me do this. And so you go out and you'd show a driver, you know, how much you appreciate him. And you try to bring him into the system. Um, but within about a week, people got tired of doing it. And as it got warmer, people really got sick of doing it. And so, you know, I'm standing up, like pounding on the table, talking about how important these gift bags are. And we've got to get these out to these drivers. You know, and it got to the point where I was having to like bribe people where it was, you know, okay, well, uh, if someone goes out and does the next five trucks, I'll give you a $50 gift card, you know, on Friday. And it was, it was just like, I, I got this, like, I'm spinning my wheels with this. This is so stupid. And I was reminded of this. I forgot all about it, but I was reminded of, we just recently moved offices and I went back there and found like 20 or 30 gift bags. It's still, <laughs> you know, not been passed out with stale, you know, checks mix and stuff in there. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, but it, it was, it was, a, it was me. I guess what I was guilty of a lot early on in my, in my career was trying to just brute force issues where it was rather than developing a process and a system and really thinking about how technology can better us and make things easier, I was just going to work harder. And that was something that I took a lot of pride in when I was younger was that no one was going to outwork me. I was just going to work harder than everyone else. And, and you were never going to 
beat me in anything because I would just work harder than you. But you know, there are prices to be paid for that. I think you know, you, yeah. you feel that in your in your really in your management style. Whenever you're the, doing that kind of stuff, you can't expect others to do the same thing too. They're not invested in the same way that we are. And while you'll have good people that will, you know, they'll perform, they're never going to put forth that same effort. And I think that I was really holding people to that standard where, you know, you're going to work as hard as I do. And they're like, nah, man, like it's Friday afternoon. Like I got t-ball games and stuff this weekend. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Well, it's like, I think that you find that, you know, really what manages the company are systems and people manage the systems, but the systems is what manage the company. And so it's, you know, young guy coming in and sort of like relying on just brute force of charisma and personality to try to get stuff done. Yeah. You come in and you're just like, I'm young. I've got a lot of charisma, a lot of energy and just relying on personality to run the business whenever it's like, Hey, personality can help you install the system that's going to run the business, but it's not going to, that does, that is not a replacement for good systems. Yeah, and you know that was something that didn't have a lot of training on. I think that's something I figured out much later than than I probably should have. Um, you know, early on in the company, like I said, it was it was very bare bones. There were no systems in place for anything. These guys kind of had a tribal knowledge of how to do things. And as far as like the new pro- the process for training an employee back then was absolutely impossible. It was like just sit next to me, and within about eight months you'll figure this out. But I didn't have a handbook. I didn't have any sort of system for a process for you know how we get from point a to point b there was nothing there there was there was no process whatsoever it was and everyone did everyone in the office had their own way of doing it and you know i thought that i was at first i was like well this is okay you know they're doing their jobs this will be fine you know but over the over time over the years you 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 grow you bring in more people and it was like okay well how do we train this guy you know how do we how do we train him so it's not he's not a terrible employee in a year you know, um, I had to really learn how systems could benefit a business, and you know that's where we're at today. But it took a long time to get there. So, with the benefit of this wisdom that you have now, like if you could go back and talk to you know, two thousand nine, Matt Robinson, and give him a little advice about affecting change in this organization, like what would you, what would you advise him to do differently? You know, everything had to happen for me to get where I am today. So I don't, sure. I don't, I don't regret any of it. But no, if, of course, you know, if, if I had, if I could go back in time and tell my cocky twenty-year-old self anything at all, you know, I would have questioned a lot more about what was going on in the company. I would have had so there were, you know, like w- without processes. Like I was told essentially that that was okay, and I was brought up in, you know, in in a way that. It's very much okay if, if you have no processes and as long as you're getting the job done, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Which is true to a degree if you're running like a lemonade stand or something, you know, but you know, we're running a multi-million dollar company over here. It's just completely different. Um, you know, the importance of systems would have would have gone into effect long, long ago. You know, reading like reading traction blew my mind. If you were the first person who told me about EOS, I remember I was like, What is that? You know, that was that was just recently. Yeah, I remember that first meeting that you walked in and you were just, you, you said something about, you know, Matt and I are in, in Vistage together. And one of the things that we do in our sessions is that we, you know, somebody has some kind of a business problem or personal problem or whatever. And the group comes together to help that person out and maybe help them clarify their thinking and come up with some action steps to bring it about. And I remember Matt comes in that first meeting and said something about, how do I get, what I want out of my relationship with my business or something like that. And it was, uh, there was several of us that run 
EOS entrepreneurial operating system on a, we'll link it in the show notes, I guess, but it's, uh, all, all three of us are like all three or four of us are sitting over there in the corner, just like nudging each other as you're describing your problems. Like, Dude, he just needs to, he needs to run EOS. <laughs> he just needs to run EOS. Just needs, man. Well, I mean, which is of course, you know, brings on its own set of challenges doing that. But, uh, okay. So just kind of to, to like, sort of bring it back home, I guess, I, I think that everyone that goes into any new job, obviously, you know, people like you and I that were, you know, had family ties to the ownership of the company, you know, we were afforded a lot more uh, leeway, I think, than what a lot of people do. But even, you know, in other jobs that, you know, I've had, you know, like whenever I was in the Air Force, it's like you walk in and you're just, you have all these ideas. You're just like, if only we would do things this way, it would just make things so much better. And I think that's something that everybody experiences. You know, hey, you're taking on a new sales role, you're walking in and you're, you know, taking over the lawn care for someplace and you're just like, this is a, I've got ideas that would make this place better. What, what would you advise someone like how to deal with that? Like, I mean, what would you suggest to somebody that is going into a new situation where they immediately recognize all of these, you know, problems, issues, or areas for improvement? What, how would you, based on your wisdom, what would you tell them to do? There's a there's a fine balance to that, and I would even say it's it's almost an art because and I, I when I think about the question, I think about when I bring new people into this company uh, today. You know, I'll bring in a new employee with experience elsewhere in a different industry, and you have to be careful about letting people change processes that that have a purpose. But you know, I am I guess I'm forever optim you know optimistic about uh, n- new ideas, and so I. Anytime it can be the dumbest idea in the world. Anytime someone comes to me with an idea, like I will listen intently and I will stew on it for days and days and days. You know, sometimes we do those things. Sometimes we don't. But I, I listen to everybody. I listen to absolutely everybody. I think the innovation, you know, it's, it's arrogant to think that it's only going to come from me. You know, there could be someone that comes from a different space and, and they bring something to the table that, um, you know, could really change the way we do things. And, and we've had that. We've had people come in that, you know, had an idea for something. And the first time I hear it, and usually in my mind, what I figured out about myself is if the first time I hear it, I say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I need to pay attention. Gen- generally, it's those types of ideas. You know, uh, there was a book written, I just read it recently, called The Power of Starting Something Stupid. And it's usually the, the dumbest ideas like that that will, if, if executed properly, have some real meaning and value to the business. Um, so when people come in, I listen to absolutely everybody in every last idea. Um, you know, it's, it's tough though, because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm the person who's going to be in, in charge for implementing these processes, whatever this person may bring to the table. And I'm going to have to deal with the consequences if it's an absolutely terrible idea. Um, you know, so it's, it's ultimately up to me, but you know, we've, me and, you know, my core team, um, we've done a really good job of, at, at weeding out the bad ones and, and, and implementing the good ones, you know, but I'm, I'm always all ears to, to any idea that someone can bring to the table. Yeah, but it's it's tough though because if you if you listen to everybody, you start to you start to lose sight of what got you there. So, I, I guess what would you what is the difference between something that you're really paying attention to? Because certainly at some point you kind of have like a you know boy who cried wolf thing going on, right? Where if somebody comes to you and every single day they come to you with something that's wrong that they could that you know hey we should fix this we should change that or whatever eventually you're going to go deaf to it so what what is the difference between the people that kind of 
start to get you to, you know, tune out a little bit when they're talking and the people that every time they talk, you're just like, dude, this person, like, I, I need to listen to their ideas. What is the difference between those two types of people working for you? I would say that there are complainers and there are innovators. If there's someone who's just complaining about a process that or, or a problem, right? And I've got guys that do this where they, they complain almost every day about something that's going on. About And it's it's repeatable too. It's, hey, this agent doesn't enter the phone number correctly. Okay. I'm not fixing that until you come up with a solution for it. Like, we both know what the problem is. And I challenge people in a lot of ways that way. You know, you come up with a solution. If you know what the problem is, what's the solution? What are we doing here? It's an easy fix in my mind. I know the answer, but I want you to figure it out. You know, but there, you will have people in your organization where all they can do is highlight problems. And there are, you know, I think a lot of people, especially these days with you know, social media and, and Twitter, especially, it's like it's, it's a new national sport to complain and highlight problems. But very few people have solutions. You know, cancel culture is popular because it's really easy to cancel something without coming up with a solution. I think, I think in business, it's much the same way. So, you know, be all ears to anybody with a solution based mindset. If someone's got a solution-based mindset, you ought to be listening. And of those ideas, maybe only 10% of them are, are worthy of implementing. But, you know, weed out the complainers who just have, um, you know, ideas on why something's ridiculous without, you know, a solution for that for that problem. Yeah, and I, th- I think that you hit on there is that it's it's not so much that, like, you have to have a solution. I think you have to have a solution mindset. I think there's a big difference between somebody coming to you and saying, Matt, this person's not entering this phone number the right way. Right, right, right. You know, just there's a difference between that person and someone that comes to you and says, Hey, this is this thing that I'm seeing, and this is the impact that it's having on our customers. I don't really know how to fix it, but I've recognized that it's a problem. Can you help me? What resources would you know? That is a different conversation than our next step complaining. And so it's, you know, I, I don't always agree with like, Hey, you know, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. But I think that's a great, like, I think that's a great takeaway. Don't come to me with problems, you don't have to come with me with a solution, but you do have to come to me with a solution mindset. I think that that's a, I think that that's, I think that's wise. Yeah. I mean, I think that when you're, you're looking at innovators within your company and people that can push you to the next level, I mean, you, you'll find them around. Every business is going to have a mix of complainers and innovators. I think that that's a very much a personality thing for a lot of people. You know, as a manager, you just have to be able to recognize, you know, who those are and pay closer attention to them. So it's tough to say, like, you know, back to your original question, like, you know, what's the difference between, you know, someone with a good idea that's worth implementing and, and someone who's just crying wolf. It's, you know, that's our job as managers to, to really understand what our business needs at any given time and, and uh, you know, find the value in the ideas that make sense. Well, that's good stuff, man. That's real good stuff. I appreciate you sharing some of your story with us, and I appreciate you. Yeah, one of these days we'll we'll do a deep dive on the sneaker channel on YouTube, and we can <laughs> and all of the fun that went along with that. And but until then, until then, I don't know. I guess that I'll see you at the next meeting on coming up on Wednesday, huh? Yeah, man, this has been fun. This is awesome. This is a, this is a a welcome reprieve in my day. Yeah, well, good, man. Glad to provide you with some levity. <laughs> Hey there, Travis Richards, one last time. Thank you so much for investing your time and tuning into the show. I really hope that this was helpful to you and I would appreciate your feedback very much. If you have some notes on what specifically from this episode was useful, or if you have ideas on what we can do better in the future, 
If you would like to support the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people find us. And also just recommend us to a friend. To get in touch, visit us at www.getbetteratbusiness.com. That's all for this episode, and I hope that you'll join us again next time. Thanks.